I saw your be good baker running by again the other day, says I to old Mr. Brennan. Ah, yes, says he. I've never seen her stand still. And she's running rings around the rest of us with our Brennan's be good bread. Only 60 calories a slice. 60 calories, says I. That's just a whole meal, is it? No, says he. It's the whole meal, the whole grain, and the waste. 60 calories a slice and high in fiber, whatever way it slices. That's why anything baked is better with Brennan's. Today's bread today. Hey there. Enjoying the episode? Pretty good, right? Before we get back to it, how about a quick break to share your thoughts and win big? You could bag yourself a 500 euro one for all voucher. Ready to enter? Head to mypodcastfeedback.com, pop in the code TECH, and fill out the short survey. Tune across right now? No problem. You can also find the survey link in the show notes. Go on, make your opinion heard, and good luck. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. And this week we're talking about 5G because 3, second biggest operator in Ireland, like mobile operator, has launched 3G this week. And <laughs> I said 3G, I meant 5G, of course. There you go. And here to talk to me about it is David Hennessy, who's the CTO of 3 Ireland. David, you're welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adrian. Imagine if it was 3G. Imagine if you were launching 3G. Do you remember the launch of 3G? I remember the launch of 3G. Oh yeah, yeah, I was involved in that. that yeah, it was. A that was a big deal. Time, bringing data to handsets. I remember showing somebody uh, something downloading, and it was downloading. You know, it was like, you know, whoa, look how look how fast it gets to hundred k. You know, that's right. Yeah. So the original three G launch, I think you could get up to three hundred eighty four kilobits per second, and then we got this HSDPA got us up to two megs, and then it's just totally transformed since then. HSDPA was. Hot. I remember HSTPA. It was. was. I loved the HSTPA. Actually, the irony is, of course, if you're living in, there's some areas in Ireland, no matter what operator you're on, (laughs) 3G is basically still what you're getting. And and you're you're not sorry for it either. If you get a decent 3G signal, you're actually okay with it. Um, But anyway, we're here to talk about 5G. You guys have just launched 5G. Um, you, it's, you've, you've gone fairly big on it in terms of you've got presence in every county uh, in the country. Um, you're also coming in just on time because there is a major um, smartphone vendor, I won't say uh, what its name is, that is about to launch its new model and it's going to be a 5G model. And you guys are just about in under the, uh, you're just about in uh, for that. So I'm I'm kind of wondering, we'll come to the rollout now in a minute, but I'm kind of wondering, do you think that Apple is going to bring anything to 5G that we haven't seen already because you know it hasn't it hasn't taken off as a must-have consumer get yet and I, I'm personally I'm wondering whether Apple will bring anything to the table on it. I think uh, definitely Apple will bring something to the table, but I would say not not just Apple, but the general availability of more 5G handsets will play a huge part in the success of 5G. You know, um, we're launching now, we're launching with, with a good portfolio of 5G uh, handsets. We have five different handsets, uh, three Samsungs and two um, Huawei uh, 5G phones. 
But what we're seeing now is between now and Christmas, lots and lots, lots of manufacturers are, are issuing 5G handsets and a much broader range of 5G handsets. Mm. And that's what will make 5G really accessible to customers because it can't just be the flagship devices that support 5G. It's got to be the, the full range. Yeah, but do you think that it's just going to be that people will buy a handset that happens to have 5G because that's the new handset, whether it's flagship or mid-range? Um, or I'm wondering whether somebody is going to, who's the first manufacturer or service provider that's going to come out with a real solid reason? I mean, Apple thinks it's augmented reality. That's why it's playing around with things like LiDAR cameras on its iPad Pros. Um, it's when Kim, Tim Cook was over here at the beginning of the year, the one, I, I interviewed him at the time, but the one startup he chose to visit at the time was a, a games company here which specialized kind of in uh, role-playing games with an augmented reality twist on so that's what they think it's, it's going to happen so i've no doubt we'll hear about that from them but i'm just wondering whether there's anything else that might push 5g from that perspective I, th- I think, firstly, the general performance of 5G. So you're talking of speeds up to like a gigabit per mm. second in uh, in your pocket. So that that's going to play a huge part. I think uh, gaming undoubtedly will play a big part because you get the latency ben- benefits with 5G that you don't get. And I think over time, we're going to see a big, big migration to cloud gaming. So it's not just going to be gaming where you've got a, 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 an app or a client on your handset, but mm-hmm. it will be straight cloud gaming, and that's going to play a very, very big part yeah, we're, as well. We're, we're, arguably, we're seeing that already with uh, Xbox and a lot of the uh, a lot of the online service. Even Amazon the last week launched a gaming service. Um, possibly one of the applications might be, and something that you guys are pretty strong in, people using 5G as a broadband uh, device or a broadband substitute, will you will you guys be? You, you've got quite a few four G broadband customers around. Will, yeah. will, will will you also have five G broadband customers? Yeah, yeah, we, of course, yeah. So five G will be an access technology supporting broadband as well. So we'll be um, launching five G modems and fixed wireless access solutions as well, which will connect to five G. um so yeah. Broadband will will play a very very big part. Mm. Um, I think um, over time, as five G coverage you know gets deeper and deeper into the country, um, I think five G will be a very logical access technology for for the edge of the network for for mm. people to connect to broadband. And I think what we're seeing, just in in a general sense, since the pandemic, we're seeing a huge demand for for uh, broadband connectivity in more and more remote places as people are working from home or are moving to different areas to work. Mm, yeah, I mean, I've spoken before about, I, I travel to North Mayo quite a lot and the connectivity there actually isn't that bad. They've air ran some fiber uh, around that area, but um, I'm not there often enough to pay a monthly 40 quid or 50 quid for fiber. So I got a uh, a GOMO um sim card it, it could have been a 48 sim card uh had had you guys been selling uh the outrageous deal that you have at the moment the that eight quid for 100 gigabytes um yeah. a month all calls all texts i mean i'm we may get to that but that's just an unbelievable deal but as a tenor at the time for 80 gigabytes i just stick it in one of those huawei uh mobile connectivity uh routers and co- yeah. pretty much covers the house 
And yeah, I'm only getting 15 megs, but I can actually run a TV. I can run a TV off that. I can run Amazon Prime Video, Netflix. So yeah, maybe 5G could be a solution for for a lot of people as they're waiting for the national broadband plan. Oh, I think so. Yeah, and we even saw it a lot during the summer with with staycationers. Lots and lots of traffic mm. coming, coming from holiday areas and people using mobile broadband to to access all. all and you areas. you guys don't have any funny rules on things like personal hotspotting from your phones, do you? No, no, no. no. It's, so, it's so, so in theory, I as a savvy customer, does you know, who's determined to squeeze every last penny of value out of my subscription, in theory, I could go get a an all you can eat three subscription, the cheapest one I can find, put it in a 5G uh, handset, hotspot it, and then away I go. Knock yourself out, yeah. And you can get fantastic uh, fantastic speeds and fantastic experience. So, yeah. You, you, I mean, you remember the days, I think th- back in the day, three might have had a rule against hotspotting. One or two other operators did as well. Understandably, why? you were all defending uh, a dongle business, uh, a mobile broadband dongle business. Um, but I mean, I remember back in the day when it was almost like a secret that you knew how to, you know, get broadband from your phone. Uh, I find it strange. We have never, ever stopped anybody from tethering on, on their phone. No? It's always been 100% open on our network. Huh. And we have never um, charged anyone on all-you-can-eat data beyond, you know... Beyond That's a thing that I've often I've often run afoul of some of your executives on because yes. um, I've, I've waged a, a grumpy old man, one-man campaign over the last few years against all operators um, yeah. about uh, fair use and, and what that means and what it means in English versus what it means technically and managing that and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> One of the things I'm always saying is that um, and all you can eat or or unlimited. Unlimited is is, is a stronger term than all you can eat. You can kind of it's it's a little bit vaguer if you say all you can eat. But one of the the point I'm I'm I often make is that it's not possible to have an unlimited um, supply of data, um, and that therefore I, I I do take issue with 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 the term. Um, but was one of your colleagues, Guy Colon McManus, every time I see him, <laughs> I think he's going to strangle me because he keeps telling me, we've never, we've never cut anyone off. We've never charged anyone. Um, we never have. And, you know, if you look at it, Adrian, we, we have absolutely been the data champions. So we offered all you can eat since, since we entered the market back mm-hmm. in, I think it was 2007. We have never, ever charged anyone for, for going beyond kind of, very usage policies or anything like that. And as a consequence, and you know, our customers know this, we've, we're taking 68% of all the mobile data on our network. So that's, mm. that's you know, how more is than that, the other two How is that possible? Because combined. so you, like the the last Comreg figures show that you have, you have about 31% of the market excluding mobile broadband and machine to machine. So that's regular people who take out subscriptions. Now, including mobile broadband, I think it's a bit more. So, but there must be, you have the highest number of mobile broadband customers. Is, is that it? Is that, is that what takes you up to the 68%? We have the highest number of mobile broadband customers, but also our customers use data with, with, with uh, total freedom. We mm. have no limitations on, on what our customers can do. And they know it and they use it. So all the things you talk about, like tethering or, mm. or just constant use of, of um, mobile broadband, that, that happens every day on our network. Mm. Yeah, um, I know of one or two people. Because anytime I write about this, I'll always get someone who comes back to me and say, "Well, 
I'm with, it's usually they'll say they're with three and they'll say, well, I'm using six or 700 gigs a month and never had a problem. Now, it's only one or two people who come back and tell me that, but you must see that across the network as well. Oh, constantly, yeah. So we get some extremely heavy users and then we get kind of, there's a whole distribution, different distribution mm. of how people use the network. But certainly the tech savvy people um, you use the data, our data network and our all unique data very, very extensively. And do you think if you get a decent 5G signal, do you think that will cut it for for gaming, for the likes of, for a lot of the stuff that, that people use gaming for? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Because um, some of, some of those look, updates can be huge. Yeah, no, we see it, in, and and we see it. You know, when for, a new Fortnite update comes out, or or uh, Call of Duty, or whatever, you see a spike of traffic on on the network. But that's that's download. So, mm. so that's download that's happening. The the advantage for gaming in five G is the real time. So for for cloud gaming or just interactive uh, gaming, where you need good speed, reliable connection, and low latency. Hmm. If your latency is too high, you're dead. You know, the kids, they, they don't really talk about the speed. They talk about the ping all the time. Yeah. And what 5G does is it brings very, very low latency into, into the network. So it um, it opens up this whole possi- world of possibilities where you can build hmm. new applications on a mobile network with which really exploit these, these things. So, you know, when you talk about, I don't know, smart cities or drivers or autonomous cars that's all about latency and reliability you have mm. to have low latency or the cars crash you have to have reliability or you know it's, it's not going to work and it's all of these aspects that 5, uh, 5g bring into the uh, equation one of the things that we all used to talk about as possible use for 5g was autonomous cars i used to talk about it quite a lot two or three years ago um we haven't seen an awful lot in Ireland uh, on that. They're still running quite a bit in, in the States. Has that kind of just calmed down or are we seeing anything happening there? I think certainly there, like I'm not, I'm not an expert in, in mm. the area whatsoever, but certainly there was an awful lot of excitement about driverless cars to mm. start with. And then it kind of shifted more towards autonomous cars. So when you're sitting in a lane and your car will keep you, mm. you know, 40 meters behind the car in front, depending on what speed you're doing, and it will keep you within your lane. And that's autonomous driving. I think for uh, full autonomous driving, where, you know, you don't have a human intervention to... Mm. to no as steering a, wheel. As a, yeah, as a yeah. safety net. Um, what you need is, an, is extremely reliable networks. And we're kind of at the start of that, that juncture where those reliable networks are being built now, mm. now particularly, particularly by us. I mean, realistically, how long do you think it would take if, because there are companies, I mean, including Tesla, that have 95, but they're 95% of the way there towards full autonomous uh, vehicles. They're waiting for a mixture of regulatory uh, go-ahead and also the, the networks. From a networking point of view, how long do you think we are away or, or is it waiting on more of a regulatory and a commercial model? I think uh, regulatory uh, and risk are going to play a huge part as well. I've, I've seen a lot of discussion about how risk works with, with driverless cars, and there's certainly a conundrum uh, to be worked out there. 
I would expect that driver, driverless or autonomous vehicles will start more in industrial applications. So we see, you know, lots of, say, high-risk high mining-type applications and stuff like that, where you don't need to send a driver with the, uh, with the vehicle, and you don't really have risk, a risk exposure to third parties because you're working within, within uh, a controlled mm. area. So I would expect that that's where the evolutions will start first, and then it will move more into mainstream. But that, that is, is quite a number of, of years. Anytime I talk to just ordinary people about this, there's two reactions. One is, oh my God, I wouldn't trust it. What if it, you know, knocks somebody in? The other, though, is, oh, I'd hate that. I love driving my car. I, I don't want to sit in a driverless car. I want to drive my car. Yeah. Now, I'm about the right age and stereotypical profile to share that view, like to, to be the, the middle-aged bloke. Oh, I, I want to drive my, you know, whatever, Audi or whatever. I can't wait for driverless cars. I can't wait to be able to sit in the car and let it do the hell whatever it wants and let me focus on something else. And there'd be no break in the lights and there'd be no trying to inch ahead, you know, uh, ahead of anybody else. What, what, what do you think? Are you are you a driver? Uh, I'm a driver, yeah. And I do school runs and lots of different deliveries. Mm. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it. <laughs> well, you see, you wouldn't have to do a school run. Like, exactly. why, why would you yeah. have to do the school run? Yeah. Absolutely, that's a, that's you know, amazing. I remember yeah. uh, when this topic first came up. It was actually at CES in Las Vegas when I first my saw saw my first demonstration, and I was doing a piece on it from Vegas. So how am I going to make this more interesting? And at the time, Michael Healy Ray, what had been talking about the threat to rural pubs and rural, rural pubs. way of life. Yeah. So I rang him up from Vegas. <laughs> I said, uh, Michael. Um, they're after introducing this uh, new concept, and I want to know what you think. And and here's here's why I think it might be relevant to you. Because imagine uh, you have an autonomous vehicle, and you live nine miles away from the pub. You can now go to the pub. You can take get your fill of five or six pints, and and come back no problem. You can, you can have twenty pints if you want. You know, well, that's that's certainly an application. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's if we're ever allowed yeah. out again. Um, yeah. I mean, the, you know, there's a separate issue there. Um, just moving back to one of the things that I've been writing about, we've touched on it once before, as this issue of the the five G conspiracy theories. You're now you've now launched a five G network. Some of your um, competitor networks have experienced difficulties with conspiracy theories turning up at sites and. You see it on Facebook. There are Facebook groups all the time, and not just yeah. not just not just kind of mad hatters. It's now spreading into a kind of a, one of my colleagues in the paper did a really interesting piece on this. It's now spreading into kind of wellness and alternative medicine um, kind of groups. People who would ordin- ordinarily be you would never expect them to pay heed to stuff like this, and they're sort of. They're giving it a little bit of attention because somebody is coming at it from a sort of a health or a wellness point of view. Are you you expecting any difficulties there? Um, We're certainly, uh, you know, have to be prepared and we have to we have to take care of our staff who maintain the sites and we have to take our, care of our staff who, who build the sites. Um, look, everything we do is is uh, consistent and compliant with the, the International Commission for Non-Ionizing Radiation Protection, mm. ICNRP. Oh, you see, they, they, think that's all, they think that's all a load of uh, codswab and a load of conspiracy and the establishment looking after themselves. 
Some people do, but it's fully endorsed by the, the WHO. And if you think of, of the, the world we live in with uh, the pandemic happening and science deniers, you know, we have to be in a position where we follow the science. And what we're doing here is following the science. And I think it's very interesting that over the last six months, I've seen a huge change in the whole zeitgeist towards conspiracy theories. And an awful lot of people are actually pushing back on this now, whereas you had a silent majority previously, you've got a much, much more vocal majority now mm. who are supportive of it. And I think the imperative to get very, very good connectivity in the country, both in terms of economic growth, but also supporting people during the pandemic and when people have to work from home and have to, you know, have, have to communicate and, and live in a different way. Uh, I think that has certainly swung the, the pendulum back more towards the science and the sensible approach to to how to roll out a 5G network. Mm. Well, I hope you're right. And I've engaged once or twice with some of those on the other side. It's quite easy just to sit back and kind of slag them off, which I have done. I have done that uh, before. It doesn't really work, though, because what happens is a lot of them will just retreat into a community and say, well, of course he's going to say that because he's either A, paid off by the big interests or he is part of some cushy sort of number and he doesn't want proper in- inquiry into this, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I tried something different actually last week. I There was somebody, they were going on about, there was a kind of a anti-5G, anti-mask common theme going on. And uh, I tried to engage with with one of them. And first I got all the insults under the sun, right? You're a disgrace to the human race, all that sort of. But I ignored it and I said, well, look, can you just let me know what your concerns are? And about half an hour later, he had totally calmed down and he was starting to open up to what his concerns are. Now, I didn't really go that far down that road because I was just busy. I had other stuff to do. But I do have a suspicion that had I tried, I, I, this is going to sound very condescending and patronized, but almost like a almost like a missionary or something, almost like someone who's like trying to outreach. Um, I suspect that I might have had a better chance of giving him a little bit of a different point of view or persuading him or, rather than just tossing zingers at him or or worse, retweeting him and saying, look at this, space ball, you know? No, well, I wouldn't suggest for a second that the concerns people have mm. aren't genuine concerns, and most people are very, very rational. So I would, I would say, engagement and, and dialogue is is very important, but also trust in your institutions. So you know, we have the World Health Organization, we have the um, EPA in Ireland, who are responsible for communications, and I really, really think people need do need to trust in these institutions that they are looking after people's um, best interests and. You know, they they're, they are ensuring that we comply with the science and comply with. I, I, I think the main problem here is a lack of trust. I, I think there's a there's a feeling that some people have of isolation and alienation, and where you and I, you and I trust the, the World Health Organization, there are there's a small percentage of people who, for whatever reason, have found themselves they just don't trust what uh, authorities are telling. They don't trust what they see uh, or read in the media. And as a result, like as part of that conversation last week, I asked kind of provocatively whether this person believed the moon landings happened. I, I shouldn't have asked that. That's that's provocative. But what I was trying, what I was wondering was, are they generally skeptical about everything the authorities uh, tell them? Because there's a big crossover there uh, between 5G, masks, um, you know, uh, is the pandemic a hoax? Like, oh, there's all that, all that kind of stuff. But 
there must be a reason why there, the, you know, there's a consistent niche minority who really are attracted to, to this sort of, and I think it's alienation. I think it's isolation. Um, I, I think for some reason they feel detached from, or they're not, they're being ignored or they're not getting, they don't feel that they're participating in society. It's just a personal theory, but, um, but anyway, it's a roundabout way of saying on the 5G hoax stuff, um, uh, the conspiracy theory stuff, I'm trying a different tack now. I'm trying not to be pejorative about it and trying to maybe engage a little bit more, you know? Yeah, no, I think engagement is good. And again, I, I think, you know, you have to take people at face value. And if people have concerns, it's it's important to help people mm. to allay those concerns. Yeah, yeah. Um, the You've got a, quite a few... Uh, 5G sites. I think it's 315 uh, right now, 35% yes. population. You're talking about more than doubling that uh, next year. Um, yeah. But what struck me was that your 5G distribution, it's not just in urban areas. And and for a new network rollout, that's not typical. I mean, uh, with 4G, it mostly was in urban areas and, and town locations first. Why Why have you chosen this route instead? So, like, firstly, we are doing doing the cities, but it's not exclusively the cities. We've got coverage in every, every county in, in the country. Um, a number of years ago, we did spectrum that we're using, the, the C-band spectrum that, that we use to support 5G. I was auctioned. We bought a full national allocation, so mm-hmm. 100 megahertz to support customers across the uh, entire country and not offer a differentiated service in the cities. Our competitors didn't, didn't take the same approach as that. Um, so it was always our intention to roll out 5G, and we believe 5G is very, very transformative technology and will be the base technology in our network for 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 you know, the next 10 years or or however long. So we believe in 5G and we believe it's very important. Uh, With the pandemic, we did see a very, very large shift in traffic within the network. So lots of traffic came out of the city centres and moved into suburban areas or towns or rural areas. And we can see where the traffic traffic is in our network. We can see where our customers are using it. Mm. And we're really trying to get the best coverage of of, of, um, the existing Existing so customer. Did you notice then as, as any type of significant shift in terms of the traffic f- out from more central areas into suburban or? Oh, very much so. Areas? Yeah, almost yeah. almost overnight, like thirteenth of March, <laughs> was yeah. when it all happened, and all of a sudden the traffic exploded on the network. So it was up to a huge amount. Both voice traffic was up about like forty percent overnight or something. Yeah. Data traffic was up. So we took lots and lots of steps to make sure that everything stayed stable and worked. But also, not only was the traffic up, it was in different places, completely different places to, to where it had been previously. So we uh, redirected our rollout programs. We put in lots of additional capacity in, into areas where, where all of a sudden we had massive uh, jump. And, you know, we dealt with it. And I think that certainly informed some of, some of our 5G rural rollout as well. Okay, so you were looking at patterns of data consumption and you were working that into your predictions uh, yeah, of yeah, what might happen over the next year to 18 months yeah we we like it it's really important that we see where the demand is in the network so we can be dimensioned in all all the right areas to, to support that demand do, so, is, is do you i i talk to other companies sometimes like big tech for example a few months ago made a decision that they weren't going to do any business travel until summer of 2021 and and they made that decision like 
in May. Um, yeah. As a fairly big company, are you having to make those kind of is that what you was what you have just described in terms of provisioning for where you see modeling for where you see the traffic coming? Are you looking that far ahead? Are you are you making a, a calculation that well, there's going to be work for home for the next year or so therefore we are going to need more capacity in those areas yeah uh, so certainly like i think everyone is is learning as they go along with with how things have changed it was very good that that the big tech companies made their call early because you know lots of those those people will be using our network as well so we mm. can see there is going to be a kind of a constancy to to this that that maybe we didn't know about it at the start we have our, our rollout plan you know we, we, we've the 315 sites we have plans for an additional 500 sites by the end of next year and all these factors uh feed into um feed into what we're doing and then you know we're, we're launching the service uh, or, uh today but um, we will see the uptake and and where the demand is and and where we need to to uh, prioritize, you know, based on on how it's used, et cetera, and customer feedback. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think that's about as as much as I wanted to 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 ask you, David. Um, do you think? Oh, there's one of area I wanted to talk to you about. I remember what it was. Um, value in in the market. I mentioned 48 earlier on, and I've been writing quite a lot about it. I wrote a lot about Gomo, Air's uh, sub-brand, when it came out last year. Um, it, we're kind of in an extraordinary situation at the moment in terms of what you can get in the Irish market. I mean, we're all used to narratives in Ireland about being ripped off or, you know, it's cheaper elsewhere. I'm not aware that it's really cheaper anywhere else in the English-speaking world now than Ireland to get certainly a mobile uh, operator plan. I mean, I'm looking at the UK, uh, where three is a major player. It's not as cheap. We've we've we've, we've better deals here. What's going on? Why 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 have we arrived at this situation here? Um, so 48, it, it is, you're absolutely right. It, it's not an absolute humdinger of an offer. It's a I mean, limited eight, eight, eight euro. That's 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 kind of discretional income. I mean. It's eight euros, yeah. Um, it's a SIM-only, self-serve uh, type model. Uh, economically, it, it works for us. And but but it, isn't, isn't everything, like if you get a SIM-only plan at the moment, everything is self-serve at the moment. You can't go into a shop. Well, you can, sorry, you can. Actually. You can, but, and you do have a contact center supporting you. And you, mm. you know, you, 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 you have a different level of service on, on, um, on the, the more normal tariffs um we believe the world is changing we believe the world is going online we believe connectivity will be commoditized uh you know in into the future and and it's very important that we can be you know be nimble be agile offer these types of services in in a way that's kind of similar to other ott type services where you do you ever, online. Do you ever land in the and, states and you're in the airport and you think right okay i need to get a, a local sim for data here because the roaming i don't want to do the wrong and you're like, and there, yeah, you can get ten gigabytes for ninety dollars. What? And I, I, every time now, obviously, I haven't been to the states in a while. Um, but it, you, it, you, it, it was particularly when you land in the states, you realize how expensive it is there, and how cheap it is here. Yeah, we've got a very, very competitive market. Everyone's got to fight, and everyone's got to be fit and, and win in the marketplace. So you know, it's it's incumbent on, on operators to uh, 
you know, to be able to support these types of applications and offerings into the future. Yeah. I mean, often operators will grumble and say, from a regulatory perspective, we're being, this is a race to the bottom, we're being driven down, 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 and we, we can't, this is leading to a situation where we're not going to be able to sustain investment in the networks. I don't really hear that much along those lines from the operators anymore. Is that because, is that mode of thinking kind of gone or is it just that nobody likes to hear it? <laughs> I think uh, probably a, a bit of both. Okay. Um, look, certainly everyone everyone has uh, regulatory challenges and you work, you work with your regulator to, to, to find you know, a good way of progressing. An awful lot of our regulation comes as part of European codes and we're compliant. So it's generally similar regulation to what we see in other marketplaces. Um, but we do, of course, work with regulators to try and ensure that we have, you know, a pro-investment uh, balance in place that will allow us to, to fund things like the 5G rollout. We're spending 100 million a year on our network. And, you know, if you think of other industries, we don't really change our prices. Price price competition in the market is 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 uh, very very high, but we do invest a lot to offer more every year. So whilst you know you used to get so much speed last year, you get more speed this year, and you get you use the network more this mm -hmm. year. So it's really really important for us to work with regulator to to ensure that we can keep investing into the future. Fair enough. Well, listen, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show uh, today, David. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, best of luck with your rollout. I'm sure I'll be giving you guys a hard time, so I'm going to give the, the, all of them a hard time <laughs> in no time at all, but thank you very much. As long as uh, you're for, fair. <laughs> yeah. For coming on the show. It's David Hennessy, the CTO of 3 Ireland, and that's all we have time for this week. From me, Adrian Meckler, tech editor of The Irish and Sunday Independent, thank you very much for tuning in, listening and watching, and I'll talk to you at the same time next week. Bye-bye.